0: Now we give a warm welcome to everyone to public worship today, both to those in the church here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 65. It's found on page 82 of the Psalter, and it's at the beginning of the song. In Zion praise awaits you, Lord. To you our vows will pay. To you all people will come near. We hear you hear us when we pray. When we were overwhelmed by sins and guilt upon us lay, you pardoned all our trespasses and washed our guilt away. We'll uh, sing verses 1 to 8 of Psalm 65. In Zion, praise awaits you, Lord. Let's join together in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord, our God, we thank you for the song that we have been singing. We thank you that the heart of your message to the human race is that you pardon all our iniquities if we come to you asking for the help that you can give. And we pray that as we gather here this day, that we would be thankful that we are found here. May we remember that this day reminds us that you are the great creator. It reminds us that you are the great redeemer as well. But it is also a constant reminder to us that there is a glorious rest awaiting those who have trusted in the Lord. For those who have tasted and seen that God is good, and you are good. But our response to you has not always been what it should be, but we thank you that within the covenant that you have made with us, that there is an accommodation for dealing with sin. And we pray that we would be upfront and honest with you this day and acknowledge that we have fallen short in so many ways, But we come to you and we ask you to give us grace afresh for each and every uh, step of uh, the journey. We look around ourselves... In this world that we find ourselves in. And we find so much devastation. We think of the agonies and the pains of the Ukraine-Russian situation at this time. We think of the heartaches and the griefs on both sides. We think of the devastation, with tornado in America. We think of the recent rail crash in Greece and many, many other things. We pray that we would remember that... We know not what a day nor an hour may bring forth. We never know what's round the corner. And so we pray that we would close in with you. We would uh, ensure that we are sheltering under the shadow of your wing. So ultimately, come what may, we are found in a place of refuge and a place of uh, safety. We pray at this time in our juncture as a nation... That you would be with us. We remember Kate and Ali and the family at this particular time. Be a succor and strength to them. And whatever may lie ahead, we pray that you give the grace to enable them to to do what is honoring to you in the midst of difficult and trying circumstances. We ask you to have mercy on us, not only as a nation, but nations around the world, because uh, there are those in positions of influence and in positions of power who have chosen to ignore your revelation to us. May we remember that it is righteousness alone that exalts a nation. And at the end of the day, we all need your grace, whether we may be in positions of power or otherwise. We need your grace to live in a way that would redound to the honor and the glory of your name. We thank you for the sounds of little voices in our midst this day. We pray that we would be able to bring them up in a way that is honoring to you bless them young in this congregation born and unborn and uh, be with the be with the old be with uh, those who may be coming to their last lap in life's journey we pray that you would succor and sustain them we remember those who would be here with us today if they could but who cannot we thank you that they can join in in a limited a kind of way We pray for those in their middle years. We pray indeed for everybody, that you would give us the grace to worship you this day, both in the public place and uh, privately. Watch over us and guide us and keep us and bless us all. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now it's good to see so many young people here today and I'm going to tell you a wee story I came down to the church here yesterday because uh, the Saturday lectures were on and uh, I parked the car in the car park out there and I was just about to come in the door when this woman I recognised as one of the mothers who has children in the school over there come running after me and started beckoning me and my immediate reaction was Oh no, what have I done now? But uh, it wasn't anything like that. She says, There was one of the little children in the school the other day. And they went home and told their folks, The king came to the school today. He wasn't wearing his crown. And he wasn't wearing his cape. But the king came. And of course the, the mother thought, was this all about? So she made some inquiries. She started asking a few questions. Who went on? What happened in the school today? And at the end of the day, they worked it out. Mr. Rennick had come to the school today. Now, as you well know, I'm not a king. I most certainly am not a king. But you know what we're here today to do? We are here to worship our king. Now, when Jesus was in this world, there was no question but that he was a king. But lots of people didn't believe him. But there was one person at the time Jesus was put on the cross. He was put on a cross beside Jesus. Do you know what he said to Jesus? Some of his final words in this world. Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? Now, the kingdom of Jesus is the kingdom of heaven. And he was basically asking Jesus if he would take him into heaven. Now, that man had lived out all his days in rebellion, doing things he shouldn't have been doing. And we've been looking at that in the morning services for the last few weeks. And we've been looking at that because it's coming up to the time of Easter once again and it's all part of the Easter story. But he knew that Jesus was indeed a king. And that day Jesus said to him, today you're going to be with me in heaven. Now the song we've just been singing says this, When we were overwhelmed by sins and guilt upon us lay, you pardoned all our trespasses and washed our guilt away. That's what Jesus did for that man. And that's what Jesus can do for any of us if we ask him. I hope we are all here today and that we know that Jesus is a king and we've asked Jesus to help us. And if we have done that, we know that he will. Now let's sing again to God's praise. This time it's Psalm number 143. It's the second version of Psalm 143. And that's found on page 439 of uh, the Psalter. It's at verse six. Lo, I do stretch my hands to thee, my help alone, for thou well understands all my complaint and moan. My thirsting soul desires and longeth after thee as thirsty ground requires with rain refreshed to be. We'll sing verses 6 to 10 of Psalm 1, the second version of Psalm 143. Lo, I do stretch my hands. Let's read God's Word, first of all, in the Old Testament, in the prophecy of Isaiah, and at chapter 53. We'll read at the beginning of the chapter. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom is the arm of the Lord being revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him he was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hid their faces he was despised and we esteemed him not surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we esteemed him stricken smitten by God And he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. And we'll read in the New Testament in the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 18. And we'll read at the beginning of the chapter. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? <clears throat> Amen and may God bless to us that these readings from his word let's <coughs> excuse me let's join together again in prayer O oh Lord our God we pray that as we turn to explore your word this day that you would help us we are dealing with momentous events we are dealing with the apex point of human history when uh, the eternal God becomes a human being and ultimately gives himself as the sacrifice that will redeem a people unto himself. And the astonishing thing is that it is rebels and sinners such as we are that he came uh, to redeem. May we never lose sight of that. May we this day have a sense of respect and reverence and adoration For the eternal God. As we come afresh to explore another part of the Easter story. We have nothing to woo you into our midst with. Nothing. We forfeited everything. But you are who you are. You came to seek and to save the lost. It's not the whole you came to attend to. It's the broken, it's the lame, it's the blind, it's the wayward. It is those who are deluged in their own rebellion, sin and iniquity. We realize that is the glory of the gospel. And we pray that we would bask afresh this day in the beauty of it. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's sing again to God's praise This time it's uh, Psalm number 146 It's page 445 uh, In the Psalter It's at the beginning of the song Praise God, the Lord Praise O my soul I'll praise God while I live While I have being to my God In songs I'll praise as give Trust not in princes nor a man's son in whom there is no stay. His breath departs. To his earth he turns. That day his thoughts decay. We'll sing verses 1 to 7 of Psalm 146. Praise God the Lord. Praise O my soul. to the passage we've read in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 18. And we'll read at verse 10. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of, uh, of Scripture. We're going to look at three things in particular today to say a little bit about each of them. First of all, the opportunity that has afforded Jesus of Nazareth just to take to his heels and run at this particular moment in time. An opportunity to flee. The second thing we're going to look at is the offer is declined. And the third thing we're going to look at is the objective in view. Why Jesus declined the offer to flee at this particular uh, moment. But let's set the whole thing in its, uh, in its context. We are exploring the Easter story just now on the run-up to Easter and there are so many things that we could explore but we have to limit ourselves to particular uh, areas now we have spent some time uh looking at the conversation between jesus and the other two thieves that were hung alongside him outside the city of jerusalem at the time of the crucifixion we believe 1990 years ago it's good to remind us Ourselves that these things are historic facts. You know, so often the Bible is written off as as fairy tale stuff and it's just myth and legend. The Bible never presents itself as myth and legend and fairy story. It presents itself as historic fact. And you know, sometimes, sometimes you hear people say something like this. You know, there never was an individual called Jesus of Nazareth. It's all the imagination of men. It's all the makeup of some people that had this religious objective, etc., etc. You know, when people say that, what you have to say to them basically is this. You are not going to be taken seriously at an intellectual level anywhere if you adopt that approach. Why? Simply because there is so much evidence. Simply because there's so much history here. You just cannot deny this person, Jesus of Nazareth, and his existence. There is more evidence for him than probably any other uh, person in the human race. So you've got to acknowledge he's a human uh, figure from our history. Now what you make of him, well, people have choices in that. And there are basically three choices. He, he, was, he was somebody who told lies he just told downright and utter lies when he said he was the son of God now that was, there's nothing new in people believing that today they were, that's what, one of the positions that was adopted uh, 2000 years ago then there were others and they thought well no he's not, he's not, he's, not he's not a liar he's not bad but, but he's deluded he is mad and he's a lunatic Um, now if you set aside both these things that he's a liar and that he's a lunatic there's only one other option and I know I'm using the alliteration of Josh uh, uh, McDowell in evidence that demands a a verdict the only other option is Lord we write him off as somebody who just told downright lies we write him off as somebody who was a bit mad and a a lunatic or he is he is the Lord And here he is and uh, we know that the major problem for the church authorities at the time Jesus was around was how to go about capturing him. Because their initial position on the whole uh, situation was this, we cannot do anything about it at Passover time. Now Passover had been running for almost one and a half thousand years. And people would come flooding into Jerusalem from not just all over Israel, but from beyond the borders of Israel. And uh, one commentator I read suggested that there were five times the normal population in Jerusalem for for the Passover. And the major problem for the authorities was this. We cannot afford to have anything go out of kilter. We cannot afford for there to be any uprising or revolution or disturbance. It all has to run really, really uh, smoothly. I remember when I was in school in Dingwall Academy. And, and West Germany had just won the World Cup. And we arranged for a bus to go down to a, to a football match at Hampden Park. Scotland versus West Germany. And in that crowd there were 102,000 people. I think that's almost twice what Hampden Park can take nowadays. But my guess is that there would probably have been a chief superintendent in Strathclyde Police Force and he would have been given the job, someone high ranking, you're responsible for this football match. Now if you get 102,000 people and they decide to have a go at each other, there is no way in the world you can sort that out. So what he's got to do or she has got to do is they have got to make sure the violence doesn't or the disturbance doesn't kick off at all. And it was exactly the same back there in Jerusalem. And of course the person in charge of Jerusalem was was, uh, Pontius Pilate and he's got to make absolutely sure that there is no disturbance in Jerusalem around the time of, uh, of the Passover. And of course, the church leaders know that very well. And they know also that there is no way that Jesus is going to be executed without Pontius Pilate's authority. So they've got to do a balancing act. And we know how they resolved the issue. Judas Iscariot. I don't know what Judas Iscariot was expecting from Jesus. But it wasn't... As it turned out to be. And so he decided at the end of the day. I'm not going to get nothing at all for following Jesus. I'm going to get something out of this. And the sad thing is this. That ultimately he got 30 pieces of silver. Now I'll be honest with you. I have never managed to work out an hour monetary terms how much these 30 silver coins were worth. I've heard all kinds of suggestions and I'm simply not sure which one is correct. I rather think it wasn't a great sum of money but at any rate and I'm not sure what Judas was going to do with it but I'm guessing it was something pretty run of the mill. But when he got these 30 silver coins his conscience rose with a vengeance. And he didn't really know what to do. I suppose some people might say, well, he went in the right direction. Because he went to the church leaders and he said to them, you know what? I have sinned in the I have betrayed innocent blood. Isn't that interesting? The Judas Iscariot's verdict on Jesus of Nazareth at the end of the day was exactly the same as Pontius Pilate's He's done nothing wrong. He's done nothing wrong. And you would have thought that taking your plea and your plight to the church leaders of the day, they would have been able to resolve the problem for him. But you get an example of profound hypocrisy. Because basically, what they said to him was this that's your problem. You deal with that. And of course, it wasn't just his problem, he was only half of the bargain. The other half of the bargain was the church leaders themselves. And this whole idea that, you know, that's dirty money. That is blood money. It wasn't just Judas Iscariot who had made it blood money. The church leadership were the other side of the deal. They had made it blood money. And here is profound hypocrisy. We don't want it. It's dirty money. And ultimately, Judas Iscariot took these 30 silver coins and threw them onto the floor of the temple. And sadly he went and uh, he hung himself. And there is something profoundly, profoundly sad about uh, that. But at any rate, the deal was done and the outcome is in place now and so the garden of gethsemane at the foot of mount of olives on the east side of jerusalem is the place where jesus resorts to to engage in meditation and prayer and it's a reminder to us of this he was human you know we have this idea that because he was divine He didn't operate at our level. Now in some respects he didn't operate at our level because he was wholly harmless, undefiled and separate from sinners. He did not have sin in his makeup. We all have that problem. But he was still a human being. He took a true body and a reasonable soul. Now profound mystery in that. But you know what it's like when we want to think things through or maybe when we want to pray, we don't want to be in the middle of hustle and bustle and great noise and all the pressures. We want a way, we want a place where we can be on our own with God. He wasn't any different. He wasn't any different. And Judas Iscariot knew that he resorted Frequently to the Garden of Gethsemane. And the thing about Jesus of Nazareth is this some nights he would spend the whole night in prayer. And you know, I, I often used to think, what on earth do you talk about all night in prayer to God? I don't think uh, that anymore. Uh, but that's the way it was with uh, that's the way it was uh, with Jesus. And so, a group of soldiers and some temple guards, they're, they're arranged to come to the Garden of Gethsemane to effect the arrest of, uh, of Jesus. And what is it we read about that happens in the Garden of Gethsemane? Well, one of the things that we read of is this that Simon Peter saw what was about to happen, and as quick as a flash, Simon Peter does something eh, about it. Now it's interesting that all of these disciples have their own personality. You know, all these little children in the in the church today and they're all making little sounds and whatnot. They're all different. They all have their own little personalities. Even children within the same family they can be so different. Um, although there's a, a sameness if you're, if you're in, the, in, in, in the family and, and that's the way it was with, uh, with the disciples as well and one of the things about the personality of, of uh, Simon Peter was this he was impetuous he was the kind of person who would just be up and doing without thinking the whole thing through and then later he would reflect and, um, and he, would, uh, he would regret Do you remember when Jesus was saying, Do you know what? I'm going to die. And Simon Peter is saying, No, 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 no. Don't you be speaking like that. That be far from you, Lord that was his immediate reaction and, and I think we can understand that because they've spent three years together engaged in the public ministry of Jesus and uh, it hasn't been easy hasn't been easy and you know there's a, something about adversity adversity brings cohesion it brings people together it's a glue that can bring people together and, uh, and that's the way it was with Jesus and his disciples and the thought of them being without Christ without Jesus anymore we understand why he's saying to Jesus that be far from you but you remember what Jesus said to him get thee behind me Satan and you think oh man these are not very PC words are they but, you know, this is the thing about Jesus of Nazareth. He calls a spade a spade. And in actual fact, I'm guessing that Simon Peter might well have put up this kind of argument. Do you know what? I'm doing something here that's honourable. I'm doing something here that acknowledges the honour and the place of Jesus. That's why I've said what I've said. In other words, I'm engaging in something that you might describe as As holy And Jesus is basically saying to him There's nothing holy about this This is unholy Because you are doing the bidding Of Satan Get thee behind me uh, Me Satan But here is Simon Peter And he sees this group coming in To the garden And he's streetwise He knows what's about to happen. And his thinking is this. If I hold them back just for a handful of seconds, he's going to be able to take to his heels and he can run. And let's remember this. It's Passover time. It's night time. It's the Thursday before the crucifixion of Jesus. But there's a beautiful moon shining over uh, Jerusalem. It's not as if it's pitch dark and he's not going to make good his escape. He can make good his escape if he wants to. And so there is an opportunity for Jesus to flee. And that leads me on. To uh, my second point And that is That this opportunity He doesn't take it up at all The offer The offer is declined Jesus said to Peter Put your sword into its uh, Into its Into its sheath Now Peter must have been so baffled And he must have been so bewildered At that point in time He is just Trying to work it out in his mind. Why on earth are you not taking the opportunity that I am affording you? Because he thinks that he knows better in this given situation. And I guess at one level we can understand that he thinks. He knows better. He knows what is best. Just go. Just take to your heels. He knows what they're up to. He knows what they're capable of. Take your opportunity and, and go. And you know on life's journey. This is a problem for all believers. Things take twists. And things take turns. That we never ever expected that they might take and we are left bewildered and we are left frustrated and you know sometimes in our bewilderment and in our frustration we can go and huff with God and it's not just that it limits itself to that We are what we are and sometimes in our half with God we allow it to fester away and it bubbles over into being more than a half with God. We are angry with God and we are not at all happy eh, with God. And you know sometimes when we get ourselves into that situation and there are all these things going through our minds... Sometimes it's difficult to dismiss it Because Every believer is a new creation And in our new creation We want to honour God We want to listen to God We want to give God his place We want to acknowledge that he knows Many things that we don't know And we want to have him on the throne But it's not all like that Because there are other bits of us it's called the old man it's our fallen nature it's called the flesh it's called various things eh, in scripture and it thinks in a different way and it operates at a different level and so there is a clash there is this clash and sometimes the clash is such that we're thinking I just want to get these thoughts out of my mind I just want to get away from them completely and they simply don't go away Do you remember that the three major areas That the believer struggles with in this life Is the world, the flesh and the devil The world out there is a problem Because it's a fallen world and it can influence it. It may be an individual, it may be a group, it may be an institution, but it's bringing its pressures to bear on us and it wants us to go in a specific direction and to go against the flow of that can be very, very hard at times. But it's not just the world out there. We have our own flesh. We have our own fallen human natures. And that can be a major problem for us at times. We, we don't want hassle. We don't want hardship. We don't want to, to take a difficult path. We want an easy time of it. And there's that clash. Do I just go and have the easy time that I want, or do I do what is going to be honouring to God? And it's not straightforward. There's a clash and there's a battle. But then there is the devil. And sometimes his strategy is to come at us and there's nothing hidden at all. He just comes at us with the ferocity of a roaring lion. Nothing hidden, just so in our face that we just want to melt away with fear and with trembling. Well, that's one of his strategies. But the other one is the very opposite. The other one, he comes to us with absolute subtlety. It's like the, the way that they would, they would capture the birds, the fowler snare, the psalmist eh, calls it. And the fowler snare was where the trap was made and it was so camouflaged that the bird was in the trap before it even realized it was there. And I think we all have a sense of familiarity with this kind of a. Eh, the approach of the, of, of, uh, of the devil, of the enemy, of our souls. That we're in the trap before we even realize it's there. And sometimes, sometimes it's the same old trap. Again and again. How often have we said to ourselves, Why do I not learn? Why do I not learn from the mistakes and the errors that I have made in the past? But sometimes it's a combination of all three things. It is the world. And it is my fallen human flesh. And it is the devil. And they're all participating in something. And the one something is to do what is not eh, honoring eh, to God. Sometimes we can convince ourselves that that particular road that is not at all honoring to God, we think it is. Because that's exactly where Simon Peter is. He thinks his plan, he thinks his agenda, he thinks his setup is the one that will bring honour eh, to God. That be far from the eh, Lord. And what is it that Jesus of Nazareth is saying to him? No more of that, Peter. Put your sword back into its sheath. And that raises a profound question. Why? Why on earth does he not take to his heels and run? Why is Simon Peter all over the place and trying to understand why he's not accepted the offer? and that leads to the third point I want to speak about and that is the objective in view because there is an objective in view now we have spent two or three sermons exploring the conversations that have taken place on the cross between Jesus and these two thieves and in my children's address today I refer to Jesus as a king and he is a king Even if people did not acknowledge him as a king. He is a king and to this very day still a king. He is the king of heaven. And when that thief that we know of as a saved thief says to him. Will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? He knows he's a king and he knows he's the king of heaven. And so Jesus says to him today you shall be with me in paradise. That thief has nothing at all to give to Jesus. Except one thing. And that one thing is faith. I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you are a king. And I believe that you can get me into heaven. And that's the only way any of us are ever going to be saved. We don't earn our way into heaven because we can't earn our way into heaven because it's an absolute gift that's what the grace of god is and we've got to drum ourselves that drum, drum that into ourselves again and again and again and again it's a free offer now it's not that we are gloriously saved and that's it You can live as you will after that. That's not the way. We are not saved by good works. It's a gift. But we are saved to good works. In other words, we want to do good. And we want to obey the law of God. And we want to honour God. What for? For his glorious gift of salvation that he's already given eh, to us. So it's free. It's full of grace. It's an absolute gift. But it's not free at another level. He has to pay a price. And because that price has to be paid, he stands in the garden of Gethsemane. And he doesn't flinch an inch. And he says to Simon Peter, Put your sword back in its sheath Shall I not drink of the cup That the Father has given me to drink In other words He has been given a remit And the remit has come from the eternal God And the remit is this It's twofold It is at one level To live a life of perfect obedience Pontius Pilate can see it Judas Iscariot can see it And there were others who saw it But there were others who did not want to see it But that is what he did He lived a life of perfect obedience Now here is the astonishing thing It's that life that he gives you and I When we close in with Jesus Because it's a two way thing We come to him as sinners What other way can we come? What other we can, we can. This is where the glorious gospel of Jesus gives hope to anybody across the globe. We can have mucked up in the most profound way, and we come in all our sin and wretchedness, and we give it to Him. But He in turn gives us something. And that something He gives to us is His spotless life. You know, we couldn't make this up. We wouldn't dare to We would think it far far too presumptuous You can't go there You can't go there But we can go there Not because we think we can But because God thinks we can That's what this is all about But the other side of what Jesus is about Isn't simply giving us His perfect life of obedience The other side of it is this He has to pay the price that our sinful lives have run up. And in order to do that, the crucifixion and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, they all have to take place. And that's exactly what happens. And you know... When Jesus was tempted by the devil at the outset of his public ministry he was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights and then we read this that the devil left him for a season. Only for a season. Now if the devil is active at the beginning of his public ministry he most certainly is active towards the end of it and we believe that there is great activity going on in the garden of Gethsemane. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. And we think that part of that whole setup is the powers of hell trying to derail the agenda of Jesus of Nazareth. And do they think that they're going to derail it by having him crucified? Do they think that the death of Jesus is going to be the derailment? Here is the astonishing thing about the salvation of God. He takes the agenda of the devil. And he turns the whole thing in its head. And the death of Jesus does go ahead. But it doesn't defeat Jesus. And it doesn't flummox God. It's the fulfillment. It's the fulfillment of what? The justice of God is satisfied. Regarding the sins of those who believe in Jesus as saviour. You know... Good Friday was the day that Jesus was crucified. What was good about it? Pontius Pilate was a hopeless judge. I don't think you've done anything wrong but with a nod and a wink, take him away and crucify him anyway. Judas Iscariot, there's nothing honourable in that. I'll betray him for 30 silver coins many people around the scene throwing accusation after accusation after accusation against Jesus until they get to the stage where they're all contradicting one another and people are looking around and thinking, what on earth is going on? There are so many bad things going on that you would have thought that a good description for the day was a bad Friday. But it's Good Friday. Despite everything that's going on, the eternal God is working away and weaving away and producing something that is absolutely glorious. And at the end of the day, that's something that is absolutely glorious, is the salvation of your soul and my soul. And the salvation... Of every soul, whomsoever will. There's an objective in view. Simon Peter affords him the opportunity to flee. The offer is declined, and the offer is declined because there's an objective in view, and the objective in view is our salvation. That is the heart. Of the message of the eternal God to the human race. And it is my hope and prayer this day. That we are all trusting in this God. And that we are safe in him for time and eternity. Because of what Jesus of Nazareth did in the garden of Gethsemane and beyond. Amen Let's pray O Lord our God We thank you That when situations seem all over the place And utterly chaotic And seem to be going in the wrong way completely That you oversee it all And at the end of the day Your revelation to us is That all things work together For the good of those Who love the Lord. We thank you for that glorious hope. And we pray that we would respond to it appropriately. Each and every day of our lives. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's conclude by singing to God's praise. In the same song. Psalm 146. It's at verse 8. It's page 446 of the Psalter. The Lord doth give the blind their sight, the bow down doth raise. The Lord doth dearly love all those that walk in upright ways. The stranger's shield, the widow's stay, the orphan's help is he, but yet by him the wicked sway turned upside down shall be. We'll sing verses 8 to the end of the song. The Lord doth give the blind their sight. Thank you. grace, mercy, and peace from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest on and abide with each one, both now and forevermore. Amen.